Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Boarding Pass with myself, Murat Atesh. The Winnipeg Jets, after four months off, after recovering from so many injuries, after enduring the Dustin Bufflin saga, after the Simpsons baseball episode-esque carnival of injuries and absences that they faced and overcame throughout the season, after a long night spent in Winnipeg's own zone with a Vezina-caliber goaltending season from Connor Hellebuck bailing them out, after all of the pauses, after all of the problems, after trade deadline acquisitions led to some wins just before things were shut down, and then Winnipeg was made to wait, and fans were made to wait, and all of us were made to wait, this thing could be over just five days after it started. And that's why we're here. This is an emergency edition of the Boarding Pass. This is Marat Atesh. If you've been following on Twitter, there's been some fun talks about how to pronounce it. It is Marat Atesh. Hi. Welcome back. I am here. We need to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. We need to talk about the Calgary Flames. To do that, in a moment, I'll be excited to introduce Matt Stajan to you. Now, in addition to being a longtime NHLer, Matt Stajan played for the Calgary Flames for a lot of years, including during their formative years when the core of Matthew Kachuk, he's had an impact in the series, Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Manahan, Michael Backlund, TJ Brody, Mark Giordano, Sam Bennett, even Andrew Mangiapane played a few games with them as well. He was around for the core's buildup of the Calgary Flames. So he's going to have some extra special insight for us on what's going on there and what Calgary has been able to exploit in the Winnipeg Jets defense thus far. Very excited to have him. Um, in terms of my perspective, though, for the Winnipeg Jets so far, there are some big, big storylines. Let's start with the biggest one, the one that starts just five minutes into the series. Matthew Kachuk hits Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley hits the boards. The series changes instantly. A series that was formerly 50-50 with everybody healthy, maybe Connor Hellebuck could steal it. Well, that turned in an awful hurry. It turned just about as fast as Mark Shifley did going up the wall, getting a step on Matthew Kachuk. Now, I don't believe that Matthew Kachuk toe-picked or cut at Mark Shifley with any amount of intent. I think that's Paul Maurice posturing when he says so. But I do think that Shifley was a step ahead of him. And I do think that Matthew Kachuk was going out of his way to finish every hit in the books to start that game and throughout the series. So here's what I think. I think as Shifley turned away from Kachuk and Kachuk was a step behind, he did reach out with his leg, not his foot. His foot bounced off the ice. I don't think he has control over that. But he reached out with his leg to make sure he caught at least a piece of Mark Shifley on Shifley's way up the wall. I personally think two things about that. One, it is a dangerous play. There are knees involved making direct contact on the wall. That's Mark Shifley's knee against the wall. That's originally what I thought was hurt. There is potential for ankle injuries, foot injuries, and when a skate bounces up as it did, clearly there's potential for cuts as well. It is a dangerous play. At the same time, no coach in the world is going to forgive a player of Matthew Kachuk's ilk if he's not trying to at least get a piece of that check and finish his checks all the way throughout the playoffs. So it's a bad bounce that it went as horrifically as it did. Mark Shively is a key player. It's an ugly play. It is the worst case scenario of that play in a lot of ways. I also think it is a, it is a reckless hit. 
that has potential for injury because he's not square to Shifley whatsoever. He is making as much contact as he can from a position where he's behind. Had to get that out of the way. It's clearly a serious changer to lose a franchise center immediately, have Andrew Kopp eventually step up to fill that role. Let's talk about Andrew Kopp. We've talked all year long about how he's an underrated two-way player. In my mind, he is Winnipeg's best defensive forward. That includes Adam Lowry because of his ability to read plays, break them up, his absolute tenacity on the back pressure, winning battles in all ends of the ice. He is the right choice to be Winnipeg's first line center right now between Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler. Here's the problem. He has also apparently stolen Kyle Connor's finishing ability. That backhand goal he scored was a carbon copy of a Kyle Connor electric goal from earlier this season. You want Kyle Connor scoring those goals. You want Kyle Connor producing on the power play. He hasn't done it quite yet. Similarly, Blake Wheeler talking about not sidestepping the fact that he needs to have a major offensive impact in this series because that is his role on the team. These are the guys that Winnipeg needs to score. Meanwhile, the guy whose reputation was always chasing him down, he's not a playoff player, he doesn't know how to play in the playoffs, we're going to ask him questions about it every single year, and Nick Ehlers has scored twice, he's looked great, he's often looked like an island on that second line, faster than Eakins, faster than, than Matthew Perot is as well, and he's sniping, he's got confidence back, he was never going to be a problem, and he's taken his game to the next level, Winnipeg's most dangerous forward in a lot of ways, Adam Lowry accepted because he's apparently Yaramir Yager for the purposes of this series. On Nick Ehlers, as I continue this monologue slash rant, here's the trouble. The trouble about Nick Ehlers' reputation was that he had it. That is it, that is all. There was never a question mark about his ability to play hockey at a high level. Over the last three seasons, he has scored more goals per minute of ice time than Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, Patrick Laine, or any other Winnipeg Jet. His offensive ascension in the NHL is a matter of playing time and opportunity alone. You ever hear about him on the power play? Watch for a career season. You ever see his minutes ratchet up to a first-line role? Watch him have a career season. But the problem is, he had never scored. All of those zone entries be damned. All of those times that he moved the puck up to Paul Stastny, who fired it over to Patrick Laine, and he scored. Or vice versa, bounced off Stastny and go in. All of those secondary assists, all of the zone time. It didn't matter to so many people for so many games and, and multiple years of, of the playoffs. Whether it was fair or not, Nick Ehlers wore that. And now that it's gone, now that it's lifted off of his shoulders, we're seeing a special player scoring from the dirty areas, doing all the things that he was supposedly not able to do. Winnipeg needs more of that. And all of a sudden, it looks like it's Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler who are kind of on the schneid in terms of their slump. Winnipeg needs all of these guys because Mark Shifley and Patrick Laine are not coming back and if they do, they're not going to be at 100%. We're going to talk about what that means with Matt Stajan soon because Matt Stajan has been in the trenches and he's seen all of those things. And there's an interesting argument. I've always worried, and I'm going to ask him about this. I've always worried if I lionize as a writer a player who comes back from injury, what, do I, what message am I sending the kids out there? What message is it when 
uh, let's say that Mark Scheifele comes back and plays, he does something heroic, and we talk about how it's the playoffs, it's the cup, he's ready for it. Well, what's what's a kid who has no professional aspirations in his life going to think when he hears that or she hears that and is playing some playoffs in, the, in, in a summer league tournament somewhere? These are the stories that we build and the legends that we build about these people. On the other hand, I am a living, breathing human being, and I understand that when everybody in a single room or everybody on a single team is willing to do absolutely anything to win or to reach a common goal, there's something special about it. There's something electric about it. When Paul Maurice says Tucker Pullman is becoming a respected veteran, and part of that is by coming back from taking pucks to the face, looking like he has a softball in his cheek, the thing is, I believe him. This culture of sport as we know it, when somebody's willing to do that for the team, that fires people up. And the way Winnipeg is playing right now, the way that their roster is built, the lack of depth that they're facing, they need gestures like that. They need symbolism like that. They need a little bit of extra effort. Because on the ice right now, things are getting sloppy. Things are getting a little bit behind. You have Neil Pionk, who had an excellent season, far above what I had originally expected for him, um, abandoning the net front so that Matthew Kachuk can score. You have the Connor Hellebuck giveaway behind the net, scrambling to get back into play. Uh, you have Nathan Beaulieu and the entire Winnipeg Jets penalty kill scrambling up the ice. They, they've won the face-off. They think they've made the clear, and then all of a sudden they're so far out of position that a pass is able to come in from Eric Gustafson to Elias Lindholm in front all alone on the Calgary Flames power play in front of Connor Hellebuck, he was abandoned. These are mistakes that are not the result of one team pushing the other out of a building. These are mistakes that are mental. These are mistakes in execution. That, and they're the difference, to my mind, of this Calgary Flames Winnipeg Jets series so far. It's interesting. I'm not sure that either one of these teams, based on what I've seen so far, could win round one should they make it there. There's enough sloppiness, and the story to me is about these mistakes and not superlative play. At the same time, Winnipeg needs superlative play in an awful hurry, and I think that Connor Hellebuck's track record of bouncing back from poor performances is something to lean on heading into game four. Um, Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor will need to hit the score sheet as well, and Winnipeg will continue to need... Um, consistent effort from its bottom six that's been excellent so far. Let me break it down for you this way. At 5-on-5 five five in this series, it's 4-4. Four, four. Expected goals are almost exactly tied. 3.96 to 3.92. Uh, scoring chances are 51-49 to 49 for the Winnipeg Jets. A shots on goal at 5-on-5, five 62-61 five, to 61 for Calgary. This is an evenly played series until one of two things happens. That's a penalty by either team, as it turns out, or a massive mental breakdown on the, on the case of Winnipeg Jets' defensive coverage. We've seen those before, but this is supposed to be the best version of the Jets' defense that we've seen all year. I believe they're getting picked on. I believe they're getting pushed around, and I believe that Calgary has responded to Winnipeg's tight gap by looking around, realizing the size difference and shipping it into certain corners and picking on certain players. I'm going to ask Matt Stajan about that, and he's got some insight on that too. But overall, the point I'm making is this is an extremely tight series, 
at the same time as being overwhelmingly in Calgary's favor. Because at 2-1 in a best-of-five series, the team up 2-1 wins 75% of the time. Winnipeg's got to rattle off back-to-back wins. They have to do it with injured star players, and they have to do it with a goaltender coming back from one of his poorer performances in an excellent MVP caliber worthy season. We find out if they have it in them as soon as Thursday night, 9.30 p.m. Central Time, Game 4. Winnipeg wins, they get Game 5 on Saturday, and a true test of the resilience that they've shown all season long. Without further ado, however, let's break it all down, break out how we got here, what Winnipeg can do going forward, what Calgary has done to exploit the Jets so far. That comes with Matt Stajan. Now joined by former Calgary Flame Matt Stajan. The last time that Calgary won a playoff series, it was Matt Stajan who scored the goal that did it, that clinched it. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show for today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So we've had the, the opportunity to talk a little bit about what has been a chaotic series at both ends of the ice on special teams with injuries, with hits, with a lot of different storylines so far. But in terms of your impression, why is Calgary leading this series? What are your impressions of this thing so far? Well, I think it's, well, the, the easy answer is, is um, you know, Winnipeg's just been, you know, hampered with injuries. You know, the bad luck they've had with losing, you know, Lion A and Chifley, um, let alone, you know, they've been playing without Bufflin all year. And, and even Brian Little is who I think is a, a key part to that team. Um, you know, so so with that, you're you're in tough already, um, and the way Paul Maurice likes to play a fast style game, um, you know, I think they're an aggressive team, but uh, you know the difference has been, you know, the Flames have had more depth and and you know stayed healthy, and they're they're you know their third fourth lines, you know, they just can can keep going at you with those guys, and um, you're seeing a bit of a drop off with Winnipeg's high end talent and. Um, that's just kind of what I've seen. Um, but, you know, little things, if they're only down a game, Winnipeg, it can change quickly. Um, and I think for the Flames, that you know, they let game two kind of um, slip away um, after getting, I thought, some lucky bounces in the second in the game that Winnipeg was, I thought, you know, you know, playing, you know, a really good game. So it'll be interesting how they play tomorrow, if they have that killer instinct to end this, or if uh, Winnipeg can hang around and, um, you know, because the longer this goes, I think, it, you know, it favors Winnipeg if they can sneak out tomorrow with Hellebuck and his ability to steal a game and, and you know, possibly maybe getting line A and Shifley back for either tomorrow or game, a game five, possibly. Wasn't it crazy that it's Wednesday, the series started Saturday and we're already because it's a best of five and they played three and four. We're talking about an elimination game. It could go from four months off, building up the storylines, guys away from hockey doing their best to to sort of get ready for this, all fired up, and then it could be over in days. Like that that rhythm is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, it's great as a fan. I think you know because you you just get right at it. Um, the purist in me, you know, I wish they did maybe a little bit more like a, an NBA style, you know, a little end of the regular season kind of favor the teams that, that had good regular seasons. But, um, you know, this is what, what was decided on and, and, you know, it's a sprint. You, uh, 
you know, we've already seen the Rangers are done after four days. Um, so, you know, but as a player, you just got to have that mindset that, that you might not play hockey again until who knows when it's going to start up the next season. So, um, you know, I think you really got to, you know, just have that mindset that this is it, give it your all. You wouldn't have any other mindset anyways, but I feel like it's such a different situation with no fans. Um, you know, you got to kind of find your own motivation with the guys, you know, the, you know, what we see on TV is obviously a little different than what it's like in the arena because it's probably way less uh, noise in the arena um, with, with the fake crowd noise they're putting in. Um, so it's uh, it's all or nothing, I guess, for Winnipeg tomorrow, but they, they've battled it all year. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to watch and it's going to see, you know, I think the All-Canadian series has probably been the, the most uh, entertaining one for, for everybody, at least storyline wise. Yeah, storyline-wise, I mean, it's been interesting from five minutes in, and uh, I, I have I have opinions, I, I have modestly hot takes, not nothing scorching, but I definitely have some pointed questions about the Matthew Kachuk hit on on Mark Shifley. First and foremost, though, what did you see on that play, and then and how do you break it down? Yeah, I think uh, well, I think Chuck, he's he plays on the edge. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, that's what makes him the player he is. Um, in, in my mind, actually, I know there's no way he had any intent to, to injure Mark Shifley. Um, I think he was trying to get into Mark, Mark Shifley's head. You saw him kind of try and finish his hit on him a few times, even in that first five minutes before that happened. So, um, you know, it was just kind of a bad, bad incident. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, Chucky and Shifley know each other. I think they work out a bit in the summer together. So I don't think... You know, there's any of the intent there um, other than trying to get into his head for the rest of the series. Um, but unfortunately, you know, what happened happened. And um, Winnipeg's had to, you know, try and overcome that. So hopefully we see Shifley back here. But if not, yeah, it's a, it's a terrible thing to see when, when, a, when a good player goes out like that. But I, I, I know for a fact that there's definitely not any intent to, you know, injure him there, um, which, which, what I think was, I think he's cut and hopefully he's, uh, recovering quickly here. Yeah. And interesting for, for listeners to this right now too, because, um, Matt Stajan, you, uh, were your last season with the flames. The core of this team was established. So you have Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monahan, Matthew Kachuk, Michael Backlund all on that team and more Brody Giordano. It goes on. Um, so in terms of knowing what a guy's intentions are like, uh, I feel like you have a great insight there, but you've got Paul Maurice, Winnipeg Jets head coach going on and making a, a really strong display, I'll call it on Saturday night. And then on Sunday, again, he's doubled down on it a couple of times saying Matthew Kachuk meant to hurt my Mark Shifley. What's he playing at with that? Um, well, it's, it's definitely gamemanship. You know, I, I played for Mullen Toronto. Uh, for two years and, and he's a great coach he's probably one of the best one of my favorite coaches just uh everything he brings um but he's uh he's sticking up for his guy um he's motivating his team you know it's a it's a rally cry for your team um because you know when something like that happens like it can go two ways either the team can kind of fold and, and you know play the poor me card or you use it as a rallying cry and, and, you know, it motivates you guys. We, we, we went that through, we went through that in Calgary when Giordano went out for the season in 2015. That's the the year we won the first round of the playoffs. Uh, we lost Gio um, just before playoffs. Um, so we had to try and get the playoffs without him and we used it as a rallying, as a rally. So I think 
Paul Maurice is uh, definitely doing that. Um, I I like that he's doing it. It sucks for, I think Matthew Kachuk's kind of getting painted as a villain because um, I, I I know for a fact he's he's not trying to hurt anybody. But um, you know, but he is trying to get under guy's skin. That's the way he plays. He he's done it with Drew Doughty. He does it with with everybody. Um, but I, I don't think there's any intent there to to hurt Mark Shifley, especially he knows him um, from summer workouts and stuff, as I said. So, um, but it's, uh, it's been entertaining to say the least, I think with social media, the way it is now and the way media talks about things um, it's, it's made it very entertaining um, being on the outside. Um, and as a player uh, in the series, you just got to try and block out that noise because uh, you know, it's, it's there, but you got to focus just on that next game and that next shift. Well, he's been able to have an impact in Game 3. He certainly scored a very big goal as well, Matthew Kachuk. Um, in the moment, I'll, I'll say this. My opinion of, of the moment of that hit is I don't believe uh, Paul Maurice's suggestion that, there, that he has control over his toe pick or anything like that. That's a high-speed play. It looks like his foot is bouncing. But tell me what you think about this. I think that Shifley is a step ahead of him as Shifley's turning away up the wall. And Kachuk is a step behind. He, I think he reaches out with his his leg, not his foot. He's trying to get a piece of Mark Shifley however he can and gets the back leg of Shifley as he skates away. And I don't think there's anything vicious and cutty about, that, about his intention as I see it through a television screen. But still, that front leg, back leg content for me, I've always thought that that's a play that could lead to injuries. In that heat of the moment, do you have the presence of mind? Like, am I being realistic in thinking that that was an instinctive reach out with his leg just to get a piece? Or is it too fast for that even to to come into play? Uh, well, I, it's, it's a fast game. And I think when you're in the playoffs or even when you're when you're locked in on finishing a hit on a guy um, and a guy has a step on you and turns, you know, kind of away from you, it's instinctual to, to try and get a piece of them. You'll see it you know, throughout the playoffs or even throughout a regular season, you'll see guys, it happens all the time. Guys try and, you know, dodge a hit and their legs will get caught or, you know, and that's kind of what happened. Um, and if you watch the first few shifts of the, of game one, um, Matthew Kachuk was, was finishing every hit, um, you know, all over the ice. So it was, um, and a lot of guys were, that's, that's usually how most games start out. Um, so that, you know, I, I definitely think he was trying to finish his hit there and got, you know, a little behind them and, you know, you get reaching, but that happens, you know, probably, you know, 50 times in a game. It's just, uh, you know, the way it kind of, you know, the spot on the ice and the way the skate came up, it was just kind of, it's really bad luck. There's there's no other way to put it. Obviously, um, I'm a little biased too because, you know, I play with Chucky and you know, he's a friend of mine and, and um, you know, I, I just don't see that um, in him. He's, he's a good kid, um, but obviously – you're on the other side he's uh he's tough to deal with and he's created a lot of enemies um so and he does play on the edge so that's just the picture that's been painted but there's there's no way the game's so fast there's no way that in that moment he's he's like i'm gonna catch his back leg here and try and hurt him it's just there's no way um moving forward with calgary up to one uh, there is a chance that we start seeing desperation plays, whatever shape that, that Shifley is in, whatever shape Patrick Liney is in, maybe even Mason Appleton. We don't have an injury update on Matthew Perot quite yet. 
Um, it's possible that already a few days into the playoffs, we have guys playing through pain. And then in game three, you have Tucker Pullman block, I think it was Michael Backlund's shot, take it right in the cheek, go off, leave the game, come back, and it looks like he's got a softball in his mouth. And I have a lot of, like, it's, it blows my mind that guys can do this. What does it do for you as a teammate when you see something like that? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you, well, you know, you're in the, you're in the game, you're, you're so focused on your next shift and you're like brothers, like your teammates are like your brothers and, and you would go through a wall for your team, or at least you should have that mindset. So when you see, you know, I don't think it's, it's, you know, you expect the guy next to you to, to, to do whatever he can to help the team. And when you block a shot like that and come back, it's for sure uplifting on the bench and, and guys take notice. Um, but it is, uh, it's one of those things, you know, you, you, you come back and um, if you can be effective and still help, it's going to, you're going to help your team for sure. But uh, you don't want to come back and, and, and be playing injured and having an effect on your team either. So there's this kind of two ways to look at it, but the Pullman situation, you know, that's, that's courageous. You know, I think we, you know, long-term you always wonder about things like that. I think we even look back at the, the Paul Korea goal after he got, hit by Scott Stevens and came back and scored. He's comes back and says he doesn't remember anything nowadays. So, um, you know, there's always the argument, um, but in the moment when you're on that bench and a guy's coming back after taking a shot to the face, um, you're for sure. It gets your, your blood boiling and, and gives you that maybe even just a little bit of extra energy, you know, uh, during a game that, that, uh, you know, a team sometimes needs. And Paul Maurice sort of said the same thing, saying that it, it was a big lift for the guys and that it was kind of a sign that Pullman's becoming a veteran. Uh, from where I sit, so I'm part of, quote-unquote, the media, whatever that means, right? And um, I, I wonder if, on one hand, sometimes I wonder, as just as, as a thinking, rational person, if we continue to lionize these guys going through injuries like that, playing through pain, um, that sometimes I wonder, are we, are we sending kind of an awkward message or an incorrect message to youth or, or people outside of the professional context who might then be motivated to, to keep playing? And then as an emotional guy who has a, a pulse and a heartbeat and things like that, the idea of somebody willing to do anything for the common goal, I think that's one of the most unique and magical things about sport. So what is the responsible way? Let's say Mark Scheifele comes back tomorrow or um, in, in game four or Patrick Laine does or what have you. What is the responsible way to approach that will play through anything no matter what attitude? Um, yeah, well, being a player for a long time, you know, I, you know, I have the mindset you, you play through anything as long as there's no long-term effect. I think, you know, if you, if you have an injury and, and you can really hurt yourself by coming back and playing or make it worse down the road, yeah, you probably don't come back. Um, but if you can come back and play through pain and, um, you know, you take some pain meds and get through it and, you know, you're going to have months to recover and everything will get back to normal. Then, then you, you know, most majority of guys will come back. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, you're, you're, you're all in when you're playing for a Stanley cup um, and you're in that situation, you worked your whole life just to get to the NHL. And, you know, it's hard enough to get to the playoffs and, um, and you're in, a, in the playoff series, you're doing everything you can uh, to, to be in that moment and, and help your team. So um, unless it's something that's going to, you know, maybe, you know, 
affect you long term or can get way worse by coming back. Um, you know, I don't think many guys are are gonna take those games off. Uh, so um, that's that's my sense on it, and and that's what's expected. I think in the dressing room, you never you never uh, you know you, you never want a teammate to to put themselves at risk. But at the same time, um, you know, I think it's it's just that code amongst your teammates that you know I'm I'm all in here, and, and um, if I can play and, and help the team. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever it takes. How do you decide how capable you still are when you're in pain? Because uh, some some situations it's an amount of pain, but the body still moves, and and, and a player can still be reasonably a, a be effective. There's there's historical stories about greatness in those situations, and then other times it genuinely makes a player's performance worse. When you're wired as one of the most competitive people on the planet in a professional sports league, how do you rationally make that decision that, hey, I'm helping the team or I'm hurting it? Well, it, it's all a lot of it's mental, really. Um, you got to have the mindset that you're all in. Um, if you're committing to play and go down that road and, and push yourself through it, um, you're, you got to have that mindset that, that you're going and, and nothing's going to stop you. Um, if you have any doubt, or you go into it with doubt or I'm not feeling great or, um, you know, I might not be at my best. That's, that's your first mistake. And that's where you're going to, you know, hurt your team. So I, I honestly, it's, it's a mindset. And as a coach um, or even a fellow teammate, when you see a player do that, um, you know, pretty quickly when you talk to them in warm up or leading up to the game, how, how they are mentally, whether they're really eager to get going or, um, whether they have those doubts, you can pretty much see it on 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 a person in that situation. So um, yeah, I think there's enough people around to assess that. But if you're the person going through it, um, yeah, you got to mentally mentally uh, you know dig in and 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 commit yourself. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And Andrew Mangiapane, did he ever give you a, a name pronunciation pronunciation lesson? <laughs> Uh, no, I just called Manch. He was, he was, uh, you know, he's when, when he first came, I was still on the team and he had a few call-ups and, you know, just a kid that, that worked hard, um, you know, and, and in today's game, you know, you can be a smaller, uh, sized player and, and play the way he does. It's just, it, that's the way the game's adapted. And he's just got that determination and, and that, you know, he's like that dog on a bone attitude where he, he, he goes after it. He goes to the blue paint, he four checks, he throws hits. Um, you know, he's not going to crush guys with his hits, but the, the guys on the other team know that he's coming. Um, and, uh, and he's got a good scoring touch. So he's been, he's been uh, so good for the Flames, not just in this, you know, short playoff that we've seen, but, uh, you know, since he's come up, he's continued to grow. He's playing with Michael Backlund and, and Matthew Kachuk. So, you know, most young guys over the years that have come up and played with Michael Backlund have been able to um, adjust quickly because Backlund's such a safety valve and, and, and you know, plays the right way. And, and if these young guys make mistakes, he's there to cover up. So it's it, guys really adjust quickly playing with them. I've seen it with Matthew Kachuk. I've seen it with, you know, Sam Bennett's best year was his first year with, with Michael Backlund playing on the wing. Um, and now you're seeing it with Mange. So, um, yeah, his name's a tough one to say, but uh, people are, are starting to, to recognize and, and know it, especially here in Calgary and, and probably in Winnipeg now. So 
uh, he's got a bright future for sure. Well, Scott Crookshank, the athletic reporter in Calgary, kind of we, we had a back and forth of articles last week before the series, and the question was essentially, which player from this team uh, do will you take notice of that you don't necessarily know a lot about yet? And uh, you know, there, we we talked a little bit about Sam Bennett and the big playoffs that he had last year, but so far through three games, my impression is Andrew Majipani is the is the guy in in so many ways that I didn't realize how good he is. I didn't realize his ability to impose his will on the forecheck at his size. And um, I I think that there's a lot. I mean, we talked about the injury storylines for sure. Uh, we've got some defensive breakdowns on Winnipeg's part to talk about. And, and Connor Hellebuck, a, a bit of a misplay behind the net, kind of a freebie for, for Calgary in Game 3. Um, but I think one of the unheralded storylines is that, well, without Shifley and Line, all of a sudden there's one really effective, really dominant top six line in this series. And it is, to me, it's Mangiapane, Kachuk, and Backlund. So let's stay there for a second. What is it about Backlund that seems to be seems to make it so that everybody plays better with him? He's just, he's grown so much as a player. Um, you know, right when I got came to Calgary 2010, he was a rookie. And I've, I've just seen the transformation. He went through a few tough years um, where he had to kind of adjust his game and, and, um, to be a little bit more responsible defensively. Um, and, and he, he grasped it right away. He, he committed himself. And since probably 2015, 20, after 2016, he's, he's been playing against the other team's top line. Um, you know, for home, when the flames had last changed, you know, his line has been the shutdown line. Um, and on top of that, he's, you know, they're, they're asked to score goals, the secondary scoring, you know, so he's, uh, you know, he kills penalties. Um, he's on the second power play unit. He's just kind of that um, that guy for the Flames that does it all. Um, doesn't always get the appreciation uh, that, that he deserves, you know, throughout the league. But uh, people in Calgary know how important he is to to the team. And, and when he's going, um, the Flames are, are a very hard team to beat. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, I think, you know, comparable in Winnipeg would be, would be little you know he kind of does it all too and he's been missing and, and but just the fact the you know the presence he's had in in winnipeg for years now and and now that he's not there i think people are you know i've noticed in this series you know that that depth and you know the, the role that he would have filled down the middle for winnipeg especially with injuries they have now um it's kind of similar to that so um you know their line's been good and then you got matthew kachuk who does what he does he's you know even if he's not scoring he's doing something um, but he is scoring a lot of the time. And then, as we talked about Manjipani, he's just been uh, a great compliment to the line and, and if not you know, one of the best flames in this series. Well, you mentioned Brian Little, and that's a, that's a good segue to, to, to some Jets topics as well. I mean, in Winnipeg, the storylines of just how the defensive turnover from Bufflin, Myers, Truba, Charat, it goes on. Um, and then to have Brian Little be, be taken out so early in the season um, you know, each year when, when Paul Stastny gets added or Kevin Hayes gets added at the trade deadline, there's this thought in Winnipeg that, okay, uh, that Winnipeg needs help down the middle, and that's with Little in the, in the lineup, to, to, to really have a dominant central structure to, to the team. And then you have him go out, and the trade deadline acquisition this year is Cody Eakin. And I, I like a lot of the hustle elements to Eakin's game. I, I think he'd never cheat in terms of his effort level or, or his energy. 
But you see the hole that it leaves in terms of a, of a really effective top six player uh, in Little and in all the different things that he can still do at this stage of his career. So that's I agree with you that that's, that's a hole. And now you have a, a guy known for his defense more so in, in Andrew Kopp playing on top line center. You have another guy known for his defense uh, in Adam Lowry leading the Jets in points so far. So there's clearly an offensive shortage right now in Winnipeg. Before we get to that, actually, before I forget, I want to ask you, are there unheralded Winnipeg Jets that have, have stood out to you in terms of uh, in terms of leading the way for Winnipeg this series? Yeah, um, well, Adam Lowry has been, in my opinion, you know, the best uh, the best Jets forward. Um, you know, I think especially in the first two games, he was he was great. Um, he's a big body. He, he plays the right way. You know, obviously his dad played for a long time, so he's, he's learned from someone who knows the game. Um, but he's been very impressive. For me, um, you know, I think um, another guy, you know, I think Ellers, you know, Ehlers, since he scored his goal, he's been, you know, very shifty and, and very noticeable. It's it's amazing what confidence can do. Everybody says it doesn't matter that, that he has, doesn't score, and our players always say that. But once you get that <laughs> goal, it's it's a weight lifted off your shoulder. I don't care what anybody says, and and you've noticed it with him. He's been uh, he stepped up his game. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, for the Jets, like, Shifley's out, but with Wheeler and, and Connors, you know, I think they're, they're such good players. But I, I feel like if they just get, can get that one goal, um, I feel like it, w- it would be a big, big uh, confidence boost for them because uh, obviously, you know, they haven't put up uh, many points. I don't think they have scored in the series, have they? Either of them. So, you know, I think that would help them a lot, just getting that extra offense because those are their guys. And, um, when you're when you're you don't score in a couple of games and you're the guys that are dependent on, it gets in your head. Um, you know, it's uh, it's only natural for human beings. But um, you know, I think you know the depth guys for for the the Jets have been good, and and that's why they're still in this series. And you know, one game it can it can go right back to you know one one winner take it all. It's not like you know the Flames are are just walking away with this. It's uh, it's still up in the air. I think um, Calgary has a lot to prove to close this out. And uh, I think Winnipeg wants to play spoiler now because they are, you know, on paper um, depleted. That's that's just the way it is. Absolutely. Yeah, they had a really good game, too, with backs up against the wall and everybody kind of writing them off. And everybody's written them off all season. So there, there may yet be a turn for them. Um, I, I, I got to say, I agree with you on Adam Lowry. I feel like in addition to to being a really strong two-way presence and just just like imposing himself along the wall in both ends. All of a sudden, he's channeling Yermir Yager every once in a while. I mean, he feathered through, I think it was TJ Brody for Andrew Kopp's goal in game one. Uh, he sent Harkins in all alone, and he's made some power moves to the net. That two-handed backhand swat for a goal was a was a really high-skill play, and it's it's really been... A great look for him. He didn't have a dominant season, kind of quite like he did defensively in the last two years, at least not in, not in my books. And uh, he's been a really bright light. And I think yeah, Kyle, oh, go ahead. Pardon me. Yeah, no, he's been well. He's he's playing with confidence, and and yeah, obviously, I think playoff hockey is is his type of hockey. Um, but he's he's got the confidence. Like yeah, that pass he made to Harkins in Game Two backhand and neutral zone that's, that's a skill play um that's like really heads up play and um and another guy has been cop andrew cop's been really good um you know he's usually a depth guy but he's he's showing some skill you know you know guys like that who when they get an opportunity on the power play and they can 
contribute. Um, you know, that's, that's huge for, for uh, a team like the Jets who have all these injuries and, um, you know, he's, he's really turned out, out to be a really nice two-way player and that can play up and down your lineup. So you know, I think uh, when the Jets are fully healthy, I really like their forward lineup and, and, you know, it's just unfortunate that, that they're missing, uh, you know, three of their, you know, usual top six forwards uh, right now. Yeah, on, on the Andrew Kopp note, uh, he, he that backhand goal where he's on the goal line and kind of goes shelf really smoothly and efficiently, it was so close to a Kyle Connor power play goal from earlier this season. And Kyle, Kyle Connor scores so many goals. I don't know if you've seen Space Jam, but I just I made the joke the other day that it was like he had stolen his powers like a monster from Space Jam, just stole his finishing ability outright. Um and Kyle Connor not scoring on a breakaway like he had early in the series is is a sign that <laughs> to me that 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 just two, 2020 is kind of a strange year in the world because he is such an elite finisher. And now I start getting the sense from him that um, he's in the offensive zone. He's trying to do a little bit much. You know, when you talk about that confidence that Ehlers got from his goal, it seems like it's beginning to weigh on a young player so used to scoring as he is. Um, and, and similarly with, with Blake Wheeler from time to time, you can see him trying to impose his will on things and it just hasn't worked out for him. I think, yeah, I agree with you that those guys are going to, are really going to have to take it to the next level for Winnipeg to come back. What about, what about some of the, the, the defensive issues? And we, we could start with special teams. Calgary's really leaning on Winnipeg, uh, or some of those freebies where uh, players are, are, are way out of position and you've got guys like Matthew Kachuk alone in front. How's that happening right now? Yeah, well, I think Calgary really had a, a game plan um, to, to, you know, really get on the Winnipeg defense early in the series. They're finishing their hits. You know, they want to be hard on them. I think that's that's where they want to exploit them. Um, and Winnipeg, you know, their D have been so good that, you know, they're playing above what people thought all year, um, you know, but the Flames are, you know, playing a heavier style than, than they maybe have in the past. And, um, you know, you're just, you're just seeing these little mistakes and, you know, it could be due to fatigue, um, you know, four months off coming back and, and jumping into a series like this. You know, I think it, it's a lot on, on some of the, the, the Jets D who, who haven't been in that situation, um, you know, but more importantly, I just I feel like the Jets, you know, the goals they're giving up, a lot of them are just, you know, defensive breakdowns. You can look at the bad bounces, you know, the turnovers behind the net. Um, but when Calgary's when there's a guy standing alone in front of the net um, and you're, you're counting, you know, not just three, but four Jets players between you know, the, where the pass came from and, and the guy who has it um, wide open in front, you know, there's, there's mistakes happening. Um, you know, that's the place, you know, the front and that's the place you want to protect um, as much as you can, especially when you have, you know, a lot of injuries that, you know, you, you should really be keying in on, on protecting that area. So I just think, you know, I don't know if it's fatigue and, and, you know, a little bit of sloppiness there, miscommunication, but uh, you know, the flames have been able to take advantage of that, um, especially in game three. So, you know, I think, I think the, the Jets will tighten that up. Paul Maurice for sure will we'll talk about that and, and they'll be, you know, a tighter group because, uh, you know, I like the Jets' chances when, when they're giving up uh, most of their shots from the outside with Hellebuck and that game two is a prime example. You know, most of the shots came from outside. There wasn't really too many prime chances in front and Hellebuck, you know, did his job 
other than the, the lucky goals that the Flames got in the second. So, um, yeah, it's something the Jets have to really clean up to have a chance, um, and I'm sure they're talking about it, and, and, and it'll be interesting because the Flames are definitely making it a, a point now to try and get inside there and, and establish that area because they're, they're, they're realizing that's where they're scoring all their goals. Yeah, it's 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 not quite as if one team's pushing the other one out of the rink so much as those breakdowns are being exploited by Calgary and they're going to the right areas and, and, and they're finishing those plays as well. And um, the one that I, I really think of, I think it's the one that you're describing too. You have uh, the puck along the wall, kind of behind the net, kind of in, in, in the corner. There's a 1v1. I think it's Dmitry Kulikov's the, the Jets defender. And then Adam Lowry goes to help. So does Jansen Harkins. The net front's kind of empty. And then Neil Pionk abandons it as well. And Matthew Kachuk scores the goal. Um, that's stuff that, you know, in a typical mid-season form or in the middle of the playoffs, you, I don't think you would typically see that um, see that stuff. But on the note of Winnipeg Jets defensemen, so, you know, I, I've, I've heard a lot of fans say, wouldn't it be nice to have Dustin Bufflin in a series like this? And, well, yes, of course it would be. But if you size them up and you've got Morrissey, DeMello, Kulikov, and Pionk as the top four, not a lot of giants uh, uh, among those guys, even though they can all do quite a, you know, a, some different things and there's a lot of different skill sets there. Um, one of the things I think I've noticed, but I'm not sure quite yet, is that that Calgary is chipping, especially into, say, if you've got Pionk and Kulikov out there, they're, they're, they're chipping to the smaller Pionk's corner and looking to lay the body and, and generate turnovers there. There's not a lot of, um, unless you're Johnny Gaudreau, there's not a lot of just skate over the blue line and be able to create chances that way. They're really turning the Jets around and, and winning their zone entries by violence on the wall because they're pushing, pushing the Jets around a little bit. Is that realistic where you would have, you'd be coming up through the neutral zone and you would target a particular guy's corner that you want to exploit this guy in this way uh, to generate possession? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, you know when you're in, the, in, in, in a series like this, you talk about it before, you know who you're out there against every shift. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's your job, right? It, you're in the playoffs. You, you know every little detail. Um, of what you got to do and and um, I know for a fact that the flames are keying in on that um, they wanted to to establish that early in the series and they've continued to do so you're seeing you know when there's no play there they're just chipping it in even when there is a play they're not they're not um, you know forcing plays at the blue line like they have in the past they're they're simplifying um, obviously you want the skill guys to try and make plays when they're there but uh, for the most part, you know, they've really, as a team, um, been getting pucks in deep and sending two guys to try and, uh, um, you know, cause havoc. And, you know, yesterday's game, it created a couple goals, um, you know, directly from that. And I think the Winnipeg Jets D uh, are feeling that and they know that's happening. So um, it'll be interesting, um, you know, what kind of adjustments they, they try and make for tomorrow. But don't expect anything different from the Flames. They're going to keep trying to play that way and, and um, grind those D as much as they can. Well, what is the answer? I mean, like you can't grow four inches and 50 pounds in, in overnight. So how, how do you deal with that and, and turn it around and improve and not get exploited? Oh, there is no answer. That's, that's part <laughs> of, you know, pe people try and do it to the flames too, right? It's uh, that's, that's the game within the game. Um, you know, and I think uh, you just got to kind of you take your licks when you have to take them. Um, you know, I think you, you, know, you just kind of, it, it's 
it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, this is what they got to do. But, um, you know, there's no easy answer because, you know, the Flames, it's such a read and react game. Hockey, it's so fast. Um, you know, you can have tendencies, but you don't know a guy's just going to, you're not going to cheat a dump in just because they've been doing it for the first three games, you know, because once you cheat that, you know, a guy might carry it in. So you still got to have tight gaps and, and um, you know, play the right way, especially in today's game. So, um, you know, there's nothing really you can do. That's the, the system and the style the Flames have decided to play. Um, and, and Winnipeg does it a bit too. I think they know that they can do that to, to some of the Flames, D. And, um, you know, it's 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 been a, a very, you know, cat and mouse series in that sense, you know, where, where you know, I feel like the Jets have had some really good length of play um, when they play that way. They're getting some possession and, and, you know, they have some big bodies up front. So it's going both ways. Just I feel like the, the turnovers have been going one way a lot more. And maybe that's just because, you know, the, the Jets D has been keyed on a bit because Bufflin's not there. And that's kind of been um, a problem all year that's been filled in nicely, but it's still a, a talking point for everybody. In terms of, uh, I guess, in terms of Jets' success, what you're describing kind of reminds me of, well, hey, maybe that's why it's somebody like Adam Lowry that's having so much success in this series, that he's able to impose himself. And, and Andrew Kopp isn't a, isn't a giant of a man, but he's a, he's a really effective two-way player, and he wins battles as well. And it, it might speak to why certain Jets are having success and, and certain ones aren't so far in a, in a way. But just... Moving moving forward towards uh, towards game four and, and sort of towards the end here, there's a couple of key things I wanna I wanna ask you, um, and I'll, I'll save yeah I'll save the the, the pregame speech question for last. But um, last on the terms of, of the on ice hockey, is there an area where if there is one thing Winnipeg needs to do better to come back and win, it is this. Definitely special teams. Um, I know they're they're uh, they've lost a lot of key parts for their power play, um, you know. But I think their penalty kill needs to. Need, they got to win the special teams battle to have a chance. Um, both the, both Flames wins have been. You know they've really dominated the special teams. It was plus three in game three, and I think game one it was plus two with a shorthanded goal. So. Um, that's, that's, that's the area I would say, um, you need Hellebuck to be Hellebuck. Um, you know, I think Talbot's been very good in the series. He's been just as good, um, if not even better than Talbot, than Hellebuck, um, in the series. So you need him to, to do his thing and, and, and win the special teams battle. And, and really the games can go either way. Um, but the problem is the, the, the men, the men and the, the players you have available, the skill level on the planes is just um you know a lot more right now uh than the jets with the guys out so that's that's why you know the power play might be a tough task to to win that battle it sure looked especially on the five on three in game two as if without shifley and line there the there just wasn't as much of a sense of a plan you know uh, with the five on three you've got the time uh, you you're reading what's in front of you you're moving the puck trying to exploit things but when Blake Wheeler ends up as the shooter instead of Mark Shifley or Patrick Laine or even, say, a Kyle Connor or a Nick Ehlers, it, it doesn't look like to me like you've gotten the grade-A chance that you want, and things looked awfully slow there. And then, and certainly, I think Calgary's up to five power play goals so far as well. So Winnipeg's once excellent PK, I think it was tops in the league from February 1st through the end of the year, um, looking pretty exploitable and exploited right now. 
heading into game four, Matt, and you said you, you played for the guy for two years. This is Paul Maurice. I have the pleasure of asking him questions very often. He gives you articulate, thoughtful answers. Even if he doesn't agree with you, he'll give you something. And he's a really gifted communicator, it seems. I'm wondering, in your experience, uh, is, he a, is he a noted speech giver? And what do you, what do you remember from, from that uh, in, in terms of your career with him? Yeah, he's, he's great. Um, well, he's very personable, as everybody sees you know on the outside um but he's personable in the locker room too and and he's a motivator he'll have those guys ready um i think uh he's a guy that that you you know will do anything for he's one of those coaches you want to play for um and he he gives that you know that feeling he's an extension of the team really um and he's he's been like that for for so long and is adaptive as the games change so um he'll have them going i really enjoyed playing for him i think I honestly think he's one of the best all-around coaches in in the world for for hockey. So um, I I don't think uh, you know he's gonna he's just gonna be do what he always does. Um, you know the, the Winnipeg's in great hands with him. It's just now going out and um, you know you know executing it and and you know playing the way they need to to try and you know get back in the series. But he's gonna have them ready. It won't be uh, anything he does that that's gonna you know um, fault that. Is the Disney-esque pregame speech with the motivation and the and all is that a myth that we in the media create, or does that come out from time to time? Oh, it comes out. It comes out. Different coaches have different philosophies, but for sure, there's uh, there's stuff said in the room that that gets you fired up, um, and obviously the fans get you fired up in the pregame, which which we don't get right now. Um, so you know what what's said in the dressing room, you know, goes even probably. A little further at a, at, at a situation like this with this tournament so um but it's definitely something that can get guys going um guys are so focused but uh you know sometimes you know the little things that are said can uh, definitely put you over that that edge you know because all it takes is a little bit more sometimes to you know to get there and and, and stuff being said in the room definitely helps with that well, there will be no whiteout, there will be no sea of red, there will definitely be a competitive hockey game, and I hope the Jets fans will forgive me for the omen of having Calgary's last playoff series winning goal scorer, Matt Stajan, <laughs> on the show to talk about it all. But Matt, I just appreciate your insight on all of these things so much, just so thoughtful, so I just got to say thanks for being here and thanks for having the conversation. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, we don't have to call it. It's a play-in, right? It's not a playoff series. Round one's after this, so I don't think it's a bad omen, <laughs> if you want to put it that way, if that makes anybody feel any better. so. But uh, thanks for having me. That was Matt Stajan, and this is the boarding pass. We're doing an emergency. The Jets could be eliminated from the playoffs episode. It is also a little bit of a test because you know that I want to continue the boarding pass and I have ideas and I have energy and I have stories that I want to tell you in this format. But I need to know if we're going to keep this thing going, whether the Jets continue to survive throughout the play-ins, make the playoffs, do all the things that they need to do, or we're talking about Alexi Lafreniere in the immediate future, I need to know your thoughts. So please, 
whether it's on Twitter, whether it's at the Athletic app in the comments section, let me know how you feel about what you just heard, about the quality, the style of the boarding pass as you know it right now, because I want to tell you stories and I want to do it out loud. Now, let's go back to the Winnipeg Jets. They're heading into game four. They were always a 50-50 bet to win this series. Connor Hellebuck needed to steal a game. Instead, he gave one away. Winnipeg's top scorers in Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor have yet to shine in the series quite yet. Their other top scorers, Mark Scheifele and Patrick Laine, are still injured slash hurt question marks. It hasn't been a good series overall, but the Jets are still very much in it. They've played 5-on-5 five five fairly well. They've gotten goals from Nick Ehlers. That's right, Nick Ehlers was never going to be a problem. Uh, as well as Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry just having phenomenal series so far. This thing is not over. It is a 25% shot, but Winnipeg is very much in it heading into Game 4. Can they be as resilient as they were in Game 2, taking things over with players playing way above their head? Well, we're going to find out. Other than that, I just got to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. This has been The Boarding Pass.